0: hey everyone this is last jackson of detroit bad boys and on this week's episode we're talking about your 10 and 32 detroit pistons ben Gulker returns to talk about whether the pistons are a good bad team or a bad good team uh jeremy grant trade interest around the league the struggles of isaiah stewart and the bull bull trade that wasn't As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work hello everyone Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the detroit bad boys podcast i am your host Lazarus Jackson, and making his triumphant return to the podcast, <laughs> my co-host Ben Gulker, What's up, Ben?
1: Hey, Laz. Good to be back, man. Um, feeling a little bit like Jeremy Grant, though. The show went on last week. You guys did a great job. I'm not sure how much I missed, if I'm being perfectly honest. But no, okay. hey, man, it's good to be back.
0: Uh, we're glad to have you back. You might be more valuable than Jeremy Grant uh, <laughs> at this point in time, um, but... <laughs> Yeah, we're actually going to talk about that, which is funny. But yeah, we are recording after today's 27-point loss to the Suns, which fits the narrative I have for the podcast this week. The week has gone win over the Jazz, blowout loss versus the Bulls, win versus the Raptors, blowout loss versus the Suns. The Pistons are now 5-4 and four in the month of January, which is you know pretty good for a team that only won five games uh, prior to this run. But all of their games have been either victories or blowouts. So Ben, is this team when uh when they have all their guys and they're pretty much fully healthy, are they a good bad team? Are they a bad good team? Are they a, a bad, bad team that's just won some games? Like what what's up with these guys?
1: Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? I mean if you look at I was thinking about this in two ways, right? Like so you've got the win-loss record, right? And it, it actually looks pretty decent. I mean, I think if I if I looked at it correctly, considering today's loss to Phoenix, is it six and eleven without Jeremy Grant, or five and eleven since Jeremy Grant went down? Something like that. That sounds. I mean, that suggests, Yeah. yeah, that suggests like good bad team, like not worst of the worst, right? Which is where they've been. But the point differential. Is it's pretty, it's pretty bad because of these monster blowouts. Right. So I guess it kind of depends. Do you want to think about wins and losses or, or point differential? I tend to like point differential over big sample sizes. Right. Um, tends to be a pretty good indicator of team quality. And uh, that's still that's still pretty ugly. Still pretty ugly. But um, the wins have been much more enjoyable to watch. And honestly, the blowouts, like, it's kind of easy to tune them out, right? Like, they get down by 30, and it's like, uh, well, okay, this one's over. But the wins have been fun. So um, maybe they're starting to find themselves a little bit into January here.
0: Yeah. it. I think the thing that makes it interesting, right, is because you're right that, uh, like, net rating and point differential is much – more often a, an indicator of whether or not a team is bad or good. Um, but they've beaten good teams. Like if, if they had beaten, you know, Orlando by 20 or been beaten like Houston by 20, like I think we would have the, like this conversation would be lessened a little bit. But like they've beaten Toronto. Toronto's a playoff team right now. They've beaten the Jazz. The Jazz are top four in the West. They've beaten uh, the Bucks. The Bucks are top four in the East. Like the this team has beaten some, some quality teams. They've just also gotten spanked a bunch. And, and so I'm not quite sure uh, what to make of this. I think this is part of the instability you get when you are helmed by like a 20-year-old. Uh, you know, it does often feel like and this is something that, like Keith Black on, on Twitter has talked about a bunch. It feels like if, if Cade and Sadiq are making shots like this team like has a good chance of hanging in there. And if they're not, they just kind of don't. And so uh, that's that's something worth monitoring. We're going to talk about Sadiq uh, and, and Cade later on this podcast. But it, it does kind of just feel like it's really up to whether or not those two guys are, are playing well uh depend or uh makes up a great deal of like whether or not this pistons team is really competitive and like with that in mind though like like you mentioned right there they're i think six and eleven sounds about right without jeremy grant it doesn't really feel like they miss jeremy grant all that much which is an odd feeling have you you been feeling the same way ben Is like this team is more uh I don't want to say more enjoyable, but they they seem to have found themselves more uh, without their ostensible best player.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been kind of snarky about this on Twitter here and there over the last couple of weeks. Um, But, you know, to be more serious about it, I think my take on it is twofold. One, I think the Pistons have some other offensive tools that can, maybe not completely replace Jeremy Grant's offensive versatility, but at least replace some of the points. Hami and Sadiq have, have both stepped up, um, and Cade as well, although he's been a little more up and down the last couple of weeks than he was prior. And so they can, they can get buckets. They found a way to get buckets, and I feel like it's a little bit more cohesive five-man offense without Jeremy in the lineup right now. Not that it has to be that way, but that that's kind of my take on it right now. The second part is, um, y- you know, I th- i think there's been a-, a sharpening of the clarity and a sharpening of the focus about who ought to have the ball, when, and how mm-hmm. uh, in Jeremy's absence. You hinted at this. Uh, certainly, it, it feels like Cade's, Cunning- Cade's team right now. It feels like Cade Cunningham's team. And I think uh, Sadiq has also stepped up stepped up in Jeremy's absence and, and demanded the ball and been much more efficient and productive in the assumed role that he's taken. So those are kind of my two takes. They've been able to replace the the points. Sadiq and Hami have stepped up in a five-man show. And I think there's just more clarity about who should have the ball and when in Jeremy's absence right now.
0: No, that's, that's a great point. It makes me wonder what the team will look like when and if he returns, uh, we know his name has been in trade rumors, uh, you know, basically since the injury, um, the trade deadline is February 10th, I believe. And so my, and we don't, we don't have an exact timetable on his return from his UCL injury, but we did get a note that like he's the hand is no longer wrapped and it sounds like he's, uh, maybe not practicing fully, but like taking part in some parts of practice, which is good. Um, I don't know. I do think this team looks more cohesive, to your point, Ben, without him. I think the the hierarchy is definitely like more clearly established without Jeremy Grant. I don't know how his return affects that, and I think it makes. I think like this stretch has made trading Jeremy Grant like more important than it was before. Like right now, like before. I think like trading Jeremy Grant was kind of like optional. Now it's, it's less optional. I don't, I don't feel like, um, I don't, I don't feel like this team like needs Jeremy Grant to return to be the team I want them to be, which is a weird place to be since like Jeremy had like a thankless job for a lot of last year. And I don't want to like minimize the contributions he's made uh in like in a Detroit Pistons uniform. But right now it, it seems like Jeremy has more value for he has more value for other teams around the league as a like second or third or fourth option on a really good team than he does like fighting with Cade over uh, not not fighting with Cade, but like, you know, dividing you know, isolate some possessions, like, with Cade in, in order to get his, like, 20 points a night. And so, like, that that leaves me in a weird place, because I like Jeremy. Jeremy's a good dude. It's just, like, it's weird that it's, like, I'd, like, no, like, he should be traded that at this point, instead of, like, thinking about, like, his future on the team and, like, what a, what a possible extension might look like.
1: Yeah, you know, if I were coaching Jeremy right now as part of the Pistons coaching staff, you know, you have to handle this delicately, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, I mm-hmm. think... know there's three options right jeremy gets traded before the deadline jeremy gets traded in the summer or he returns for the third year of his contract right and i think in any of those scenarios the best role for jeremy grant is a secondary or tertiary role right whether he's a piston or whether he's traded into a different rotation uh, you know i i think it's just going to make more sense he's going to be more productive he's going to be more effective if he he's willing to sort of let go of you know number one option with the ball in his hands all the time, and again that's if he's wearing a Pistons jersey, a Lakers jersey, a Philadelphia whatever whatever jersey he's wearing. So I, I think if I were coaching him up, I would be finding ways to coach him into you know a, a role that's not necessarily less points or less shot attempts, but less with the ball in his hands because I think ultimately I think it's probably pretty clear to everyone. Um, as you pointed out, second or third option on a good team, and honestly, even second or third option on this team. When you look at the, I think timeline and trajectory for the Cade Cunningham Pistons.
0: Yeah, this is this is tough for me to say, just because like it's a it's basically a full retraction of like where we were earlier, of where I was personally earlier in the season. But yeah, it's just you know Kate has been that good right away. Sadiq has really stepped up. I want to shoehorn in Sadiq's numbers here, Sadiq. Since Jeremy has been out, is averaging twenty point seven rebounds, three assists, one uh, steal plus block a game, uh, almost two turnovers a game, and he's shooting thirty six percent from three and averaging four free throws a night. Is like that's like aside from the free throws, like that's basically what Jeremy Grant was giving you. Even like you know four, three or four more rebounds than Jeremy Grant was giving you uh, a night, and so you know Sadiq's ascension has really made Jeremy Grant. Uh, even like more more redundant and part of the reason why we're, we're even having this conversation but yeah so now that we are kind of firmly on the side of uh maybe the pistons need to you know do more to ship jeremy grant out what is a possible jeremy grant like return looking like in your mind ben we already had one or maybe even two sets of potential suitors uh eliminated from the jeremy grant sweepstakes uh with the Cam Reddish to the Knicks trade earlier this week um that probably knocks the the Knicks out of the running that's another mouth to feed for them i don't think they need a Jeremy Grant right now it maybe knocks Atlanta out of the running um it's like they they did acquire an extra first round pick but Cam Reddish is presumably the guy that uh the Pistons like front office would have some interest in the in Jeremy Grant trade and obviously he's not a hawk anymore and so it seems like that deal is less likely to happen so so with those two teams out ben uh that just kind of leaves like chicago utah washington portland and the lakers as the jeremy grant destinations it's like do, do you like anything from any of those teams to any of the, does anything from those places kind of strike your fancy as what the pistons like need to acquire in a jeremy grant trade
1: yeah i still kind of struggle with this i mean you look at those rosters you look at the contracts You know, you can come up with some wild and crazy three-team trades that I've seen floating around on Twitter that get the Pistons something worthwhile in return. But, you know, ultimately, I still still don't see anything that looks realistic for the team acquiring Jeremy that I'm in love with Laz. I I think it just, it's tough. I still think there's a lot of smoke. There's still a possibility. Um, But I don't know, man. I'm starting to lean toward maybe we don't see something by the deadline and maybe we see something next summer or at next deadline. Cause I don't know, man. I just, I, I'm not in love with any of the trade rumors that I've seen floating around. Um Who was the one that brought back two first round picks that I saw it was Kyle Anderson, Brandon Clark, and two, two future firsts. Like that felt underwhelming given some of the other things that had been floating around. But I also kind of think that maybe, um, our expectations collectively in, in Detroit Pistons fandom world were a little bit too high and uh, that there just might not be a, a huge haul available right now. So there's nothing I'm jumping up and down about Laz. Uh, I still think he's the best trade, as- uh, trade asset the Pistons have, but I, I don't know. I lean toward maybe not happening by February, whatever the date is. I don't know. What about you? What are you thinking?
0: I'm thinking the... I thinking that I am thinking the second part of what you said, and that maybe our aims were a little high, is probably going to end up more correct. I know a lot of Pistons fans, like myself included, had their heart set on Patrick Williams, and like it does not sound like that is going to happen. And like Patrick Williams is unquestionably the best prospect the Pistons could have gotten in return for Jeremy Grant. It was like, okay, if you just kind of like move that off the table, and you look at like the quality of the other offers. They're not great, but they are kind of in line with what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Like the Aaron Gordon package, of a you know intriguing but not established young player, you know salary and a first round pick. Like I, I think you like other teams can can cough that up, right? So I, I do think we see something happen, but I don't think it's as, um, I don't think it's as sexy as uh, as Pistons fans were like initially thinking about. Um, when, uh, it was first, like, you know, told that Jeremy Grant was, uh, available her trade. Um, like when you think about like James Edwards was talking, uh, the third was talking about this uh, a little bit earlier, um, in one of his columns, the, like if the Portland trailblazers offered like Norm Powell, Nasir little, and or, like a first round pick, it was, like, would that be enough? And at first you're like, eh, like, no, like Norm Powell is like, fine. He's not that good. But then you think about like and like Nasir Little is, is is interesting, but you know not as interesting as Patrick Williams. Um and the, the first round pick is uh and, and Portland has multiple first round picks to offer. Um and they're going to work really hard, I think, after the this Damian Miller injury news to keep their own first round pick that they uh, I think they gave up in the, one of the Covington or the Nance trades. Um but like you think about that offer and it's like actually like that's not that's not terrible. Right? Like Norman Powell would be like as a guy who can both hit threes and attack the rim, it's like he would be a really nice fit next to Cade in the backcourt. And Nasir Little is like roughly the same type of interesting physical prospect that RJ Hampton was last year in the in the, in the Aaron Gordon trade. And so it's like that's that's not bad. It's not what I wanted. For Christmas, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh but at this point like I I try not to think about uh being spoiled. It's like I did a whole podcast with uh with like uh with Quentin Mayo about the uh, about the Washington Wizards and what they were willing to offer. And it did seem like it's like okay, if you get one of like Denny Avdia or like Rui Hachimura, like that's really interesting. It was like even if you don't, it's like you get, you know, some functional NBA players, you get Corey Kispert and uh it's like another rookie, uh, an older rookie, but a rookie with a skills head who also like would play really well next to Cade. The Pistons could really use another knockdown shooter guy and and some more like picks. It's like, okay, this, this, these things are interesting, right? I think it's like instead of trying to like maximize the the level of prospect the Pistons are getting back in this trade, I've started to think about like what what pieces can they get back in trade for Jeremy Grant that maximizes Cade Cunningham? because like now it's like as soon as you trade Jeremy Grant it's like super duper officially Kate Cunningham's team and so you need stuff that maximizes Kate Cunningham. And so it's like okay you need shooting, you need a pick and roll uh like threat and you need like maybe slightly better perimeter defense. And it's like can you get all three of those in like one package? Like probably not. Can you spread that out over a couple of guys? Like maybe. And so it's just that is the thing I'm trying to keep in mind like as we as we do these Jeremy Grant trade exercises in the future. It's like how does this trade maximize like what Cade Cunningham has to offer? And so like that is I think that's the the question any Jeremy Grant trade like has to answer uh, coming up. All right, Ben. Uh, speaking of Cade Cunningham, I want to talk about uh, his play over his last seven games. So not including the, the game today where he was uh, unjustly ejected, uh, mistakenly ejected. Uh, I don't I don't even want to talk about that. But uh, over his last seven games, he's averaging 16 points, four rebounds, and six assists. He's also averaging four, a four turnovers a game, which is a big yikes. Shooting 41% from the floor, 35% from three, and 85% from the line, but only two free throw attempts per game, which is not high enough. Those, those efficiency numbers don't sound great. Um, and I, I did think those would be better when I looked those up. But, Ben, it it really does feel like he's playing better than that most nights, doesn't it? It does. And I think um,
1: his play has kind of been like the Pistons in that when he's played well, he's played really pretty well. And then he's had a a few pretty poor games, which have dragged that stat line down a little bit. Like, even if you just look at um, the last week, he was great stat line against Utah, really bad stat line against Chicago. Uh, good stat line against Toronto and then I think he had a good stat line today before he got tossed so really three out of the last four have been pretty solid but you look at that Chicago stat line and it's what three for 11 and six turnovers I mean that (laughs) that's gonna pull any short-term stat line down right um yeah I mean it continues to be when for me when he's attacking the rim and his three-point shot is playing off of his attack he just he continues to look so much more dangerous to me. Uh, I thought he did that really well today. He had some fantastic finishes, including the, I'm not sure what to call that dunk. It wasn't really a reverse reverse, kind of underneath the basket coming around the other side on the baseline dunk with authority. Um, You know, when he's attacking the rim, he, he just makes it look so effortless. And um, when he settles for the three point jump shot that he just doesn't need to take and it's not in rhythm, I feel like he just he continues to let the defense off the hook and makes things so much easier for them but yeah I agree with you his the eye test to me he he's looked really nice the last week and a half to me um, but you just throw a couple of those those stinking rookie games in there where he doesn't shoot well <laughs> and he turns it over a lot right like yeah. any young rookie ball handler is gonna have and it just drags it down. So um, I, overall I, I, I put this out on Twitter earlier this week. I love watching Cade play when he's playing well. My eyes just love to watch the way that he plays. He makes incredible passes. He makes fantastic reads. He competes so hard defensively. And I think today what I really appreciated was he got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder with the way Devin Booker was mouthing off. And again, it was an unjust ejection that it it turned out to. But I love to see some of that competitive fire. I, I think he is clearly not satisfied with the losing and with the blowouts. And uh, if he can channel that aggression into attacking and putting pressure on the defense, um, I think he's going to be all right. Um, better than all right, hopefully. Right. But um, you know, I think some of those shooting nights where he just settles uh, are, are when we see the three for 11s or the four for 12s. And um, you know, when, when he's not doing that Laz, he is just a joy to watch.
0: I love that you brought up the fact that it felt very much like he was jawing with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Um, it, like Chris Paul is a is a known irritant, mm. so I'm not surprised that uh, he was annoyed by those guys. But I do think that that shows a like a competitive streak that like is the undercurrent behind like everything. That uh, we know about Cade, and like that is the thing I really, really love to see. I love uh, that uh, Cade is that competitive. What I agree with you that he's better when he's driving. I believe like Jack Kelly over at DBB who filled in ably for you last week on the podcast, has been tweeting about this like all week. Basically, that like um, Cade is creating more points for himself and his teammates as a driver than uh, than he has as a shooter uh, over the last week. Um, but one thing I want to ask you about in particular, Ben, is what do you think about him leveraging his ability to get to the mid range as kind of like a compromise between letting the defense off the hook with these pull up threes and, uh, attacking all the way to the rim, because it does feel like, um, he can't get to the rim all the time. It felt, uh, especially when, uh, like Deandre Aiden was in the game early, uh, it did kind of feel like he was, uh, you know, careful or cautious around like trying to finish over a big man of that caliber. But when you think about some of the opponents the Pistons have played over the last week, right? You think about the Raptors. The Raptors don't really have a big man like that. And Cade was able to get to the rim. The Jazz, Rudy Gobert didn't play. And, uh, Hassan Whiteside is, uh, blocks shots and rebounds, but it's not like that quite level defender. And so Cade was able to get to the rim, uh, and finish. And so what, what do you think about, uh, if there's like a, a quality big man and camping out in the paint, waiting for him, him, uh, you know, leveraging his driving ability to get to a mid range pull up and, uh, and having that be like semi-effective offense.
1: So I'm really glad that you brought this up because I actually noticed that the, the pull up jumper this week in a way that I hadn't previously, I didn't dive into the numbers yet to see If the mid range attempts are up, but it seemed to me like it might have been a focus, of what he was trying to do offensively. Mm -hmm. And um, I really think that, you know, like you don't want to shoot a lot of mid range shots. I think that that's pretty clear. You want to shoot at the rim and you want to shoot threes if you're good at those things. But having said that there are a number of guys in today's NBA, Kevin Durant is kind of the prototypical guy who does this. Devin Booker actually did it several times today. Um, Kyrie Irving does it as well. It it's one more tool in the toolbox to keep the defense honest and to keep them off balance, right? And I think with Cade, he's not going to blow by you explosively. He's very much about quick changes of pace. He's very much about angles. He's very much about length. If you have to make the defenders also think about a 17-foot pull-up shot, and that's also in the toolbox, I think that it's absolutely something he should be facilitating in his own game. I think it also... Um, makes him a lot harder to cover in the, the pick and roll because right now the Pistons obviously don't have a lob threat or a dive man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they've also got to worry about the, that 17 to 19-foot pull-up pull from Cade in addition to him stepping back and taking a three, in addition to him getting all the way to the rim, I mean, I'm absolutely all about him developing that. I think it's it's not the primary weapon you want, but I think as a sort of a change-up or change-of-pace tool, I think you should absolutely be exploring that.
0: All right, Ben. Uh, Next guy I wanted to talk about was Isaiah Stewart, who is having uh, a little bit of a rough stretch uh, in his return um, off the uh, COVID protocols. He's averaging uh, six points and six rebounds uh, in that stretch. He's averaging 2.6 blocks a game, which is really good. But he's only shooting uh, five times a game, like only five field goal attempts per game. And he's only playing 21 minutes a night. He basically did that. Tonight, he scored five points and six rebounds uh, tonight against the Suns. The team is winning, and he, but he's not contributing offensively. And lately, he's also been getting in foul trouble, right? He got in foul trouble in Memphis. He got in foul trouble in Chicago. He got in foul trouble against the Raptors. He picked up like three fouls and like felt like three minutes against the mm-hmm. Raptors, which was ridiculous. Yeah. Where are we at with Isaiah Stewart, Ben? With, with the news that like Kelly Olenek is Probably going to return on this West Coast road trip. Does it? Does it feel like he's going to start when? Uh, when? Uh, when? Does it feel like Olenek is going to start? Apologies, Olenek is going to start like when he's a, when he's able to play again.
1: Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Um, Stu has had a rough season all around. I think his sophomore campaign has been disappointing, kind of across the board. Um, offensively, he's just not even looking at the basket. He seems to only be looking when it's spoon fed to him within four or five feet or when he's getting an offensive rebound. At least that's what I noticed in particular today. I would love to know Laz how they're coaching him offensively and what they are advising him to do and not do. Um, You know, he sets screens and that's about it. (laughs) And he, he attacks the offensive glass and that's about it. And I do think like when you see Trey Lyles, who I think has stepped up admirably as a small ball five over the last few weeks, when Trey Lyles is out there, he's willing to look at the rim, right? He's willing to shoot. Um, He, he took 10 free throws the other night, right? Um, Getting, drawing fouls, drawing contact. He did that again today, putting the ball on the floor, getting to the rim, drawing, drawing contact, getting to the free throw line. Like I, I would like to see Isaiah Stewart be making some progress. I think the fact that he hasn't, is disappointing. Um, I I would say you know where I'm at with him long term is continue to be patient. He's still super young. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm you know I'm not expecting him to be a 20 point per game guy, but it would sure be nice if you could if you could have him as a screener and have him to exp, you know like at least have one weapon right and and right now he's not even doing that. Um, so yeah I'm 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 disappointed in what we're seeing from Isaiah Stewart. He looks like he's in his head. He doesn't look confident. And uh, yeah, I mean, with the way Trey Lyles is playing as a small ball five with Kelly Onick potentially coming back and the team winning a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, if I were him, I'd be a little bit worried about my minutes, I think.
0: No, definitely. I know the the thing that like really stood out to me was um, when you could see Cade like, and Killian kind of like experimenting with different types and angles of passes in the pick and roll to get him like looks on the move, like moving forward, uh, towards the rim. And it was like still it was like not working like no matter what they tried. But some post entry feeds, like pocket passes, some wraparound stuff, and it was like none of it's really working. It's like that's it like that's really detrimental to well it's not it's not like detrimental to Kid and Killian's like development to have them uh like be more creative to try and figure out a way to like get Isaiah Stewart going. But It is like you could you could very easily make their lives simpler by just like having, you know, when it's when it appears that like their lives are simpler by having Trey Lyles in the game over Isaiah Stewart, like that that is a surprising place to be, um, considering like where we were with Stewart last year. Um, I I think your point about you wondering how he's being coached is a really good one. Uh, You know, last year it felt like he was it felt like because of the threat of like the 14 to 18 footer teams often had to like play him differently in those short roll situations. And he was able to like make a lot of hay out of that. Uh, Like this year, it feels like those attempts are non-existent. And so teams are able to like, kind of like lie and wait under the basket for him to try his like shoulder turn, uh, like jump hook or for him to try like his, power dribble like scoop shot uh, underneath the rim and like, those have been scouted right uh, opponents are ready for for those for those set of moves um, I'm it's so funny to me because like last year people people not you and I but like people were like oh this is like the, the legacy of Ben Wallace has been like bestowed upon Isaiah Stewart and this year people are like get this bum out of the way cuz he's messing <laughs> up Cade's uh, assist numbers. And it's like functionally he's like much the same guy. It's just like the yeah. the offense is just like slightly different.
1: um Well, and that's the thing though. He's the same guy. <laughs> that's the thing that's disappointing. It's like there isn't a you would expect to see like what's one weapon that you developed over the course of the offseason, right? And it just hasn't shown itself.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. I uh I'll be really curious to see what the rotation looks like when Kelly Olenek comes back. That's – it's like I, I don't think you can look at the way – like I we I don't have Trey Lyles on the sheet. Like I wasn't going to talk about Trey Lyles. I was like I don't think you can look at the way that the Pistons have played when Trey Lyles is on the floor and say to yourself like, oh, when Kelly Olynyk comes back, like we're going to just do the exact same thing and, and stagger uh, Isaiah Stewart and Kelly Olinick and, and, and Trey Lyles. It's like no, like the – the the way the ball moves and the way that like Cade in particular looks when he's able to like get the ball to somebody that he knows like has options out of the pick and roll is just so much different and so much better that it 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 makes me like really struggle to to place like what exactly Isaiah Stewart's role is going to be on this team um like as a starter moving forward which is funny too because like when he was first drafted it's like oh he's going to be your your backup big man for the next 7 years and like then he was starter he was a starter last year and he was good at it it was like oh okay maybe he's your starting center and now we're we I'm basically back to where I was when he was drafted it's like oh he's going to be a very solid bat, uh, like bench backup big man for his entire NBA career and it's like well you know Things change over the course of, you know, 20 months or whatever. But it's interesting that I have basically ended up in the same place I started with Isaiah Stewart.
1: Yeah, I was—I forget who I was talking to earlier this week. I think the one thing to, to keep in mind over the long term is that a lot of big men don't develop a jump shot until they're like 25, 26, 27 years old, right? Like, take a guy like Brooke Lopez, right? Like, he made his living in the post early in his career. Now he's a stretch five, right? Or he was a stretch five, right, last year. I'm, right on a championship team. So I'm not saying that's Isaiah Stewart's trajectory. I'm just saying like, yeah, it's been a disappointing season for him. I completely agree, but I also would urge patience because I, we've seen, we've seen enough little flashes here and there with ball handling. We've seen practice tape of him knocking down jumpers. Like there's some talent there. It's just, it's, uh it's not manifesting as quickly as we would like. I don't think
0: that's totally fair. All right, Ben, the uh, the bull bull trade that wasn't uh, <laughs> the Pistons, the Pistons medical staff apparently found uh, some. Well, I, we don't know for sure if uh, some issue was found with bull bull. We just know that um, the Pistons doctors did not like his physical. And so the trade the, uh, that occurred what was it like two weeks ago now at this point uh, between mm-hmm. the Pistons and the Nuggets was rescinded return uh roddy magruder is back it's like it's nice to have roddy magruder back in the locker room uh the pistons miss out on the uh tantalizing potential question mark that was uh (laughs) bull bull uh what what was uh what was your interest level in bull bull we never actually like talked about this
1: my interest level laz was i mean why not could be fun (laughs) but that's that's about it i mean i remember growing up watching his dad play and i i thought that was so much fun to watch him play um you know shades of his dad obviously in terms of his physical stature and abilities um i love big men you know that i love big men who do big men things he's tall not necessarily big um but look i i have almost forgot about it till i saw it on the sheet again today like it, it really was not a it was not a big deal to me. It seemed like it was uh, worth exactly what we were going to pay for it, which was veteran and second rounder for, you know, taking a flyer on a big dude who might cause some chaos.
0: Yeah. I, I don't want to speak ill of Rodney Magruder, but uh, I would like for them to try that trade again with some other young <laughs> right. intriguing person. Right. Sorry. Sorry, Rodney. But, uh, but yeah, I think that was a good swing. I'm uh and I would be perfectly fine if they tried it again with uh, somebody a little little bit more interesting, a little bit more likely to pass their physical. Uh, all right, Ben. The Pistons are actually going to get uh, healthier and better soon, maybe, TM. Uh, Kelly Olenek was moved from out to doubtful for today's game against the Phoenix Suns. Um, in his pregame uh, remarks, Dwayne Casey insinuated that we would see Kelly Olenek uh, back on the West coast road trip. The Pistons are about to do, uh, this week. Um, additionally, Frank Jackson is like who I almost like kind of sort of forgotten about is like, I totally forgot. that Frank Jackson was a part of this team. Um, he tweaked his ankle was like two weeks ago at this point. And then he was on the, uh, he was on the COVID list. He was back off the COVID list. He's back on the COVID list. I think he's back off the COVID list now. And, uh, but the ankle, the thing that was actually like wrong with him, uh, seems like that is improving rapidly and we will also see him back relatively soon so ben this pistons team has won what five of their last uh 10 games they're gonna get even healthier is this bad for the tank don't do we need this top five pick like do we oh need man frank so jackson? i mean
1: can we call frank jackson and kelly ellenick difference makers or are we for overstating- this team yes <laughs> We're stating the game, I mean, Cassius Stanley, I guess, is not going to be playing minutes anymore, so there's that. Yeah. Um, I, so here's actually what I'm interested in uh, Trey Lyles and Kelly Olynyk playing potentially together again in the front court because man, the Pistons have been bullied a little bit. We have been so small, right? We've been playing uh, Sabin Lee at the three in, in a handful of these bench lineups, so. Yeah, I'm ready to get Kelly Olenek back to give us some size. He's a, he's an adequate defensive rebounder, and I think Trey Lyles has been an adequate defensive rebounder as well. If you have two guys who are actually big enough to play four and five in your second unit, like that that in and of itself feels like a win to me. And I'm a Frank Jackson stan. I like Frank. I love the way he plays. Um, I, I enjoy watching him play basketball. So I'm, I'm ready to have them both back. Does it hurt the tank? Possibly. I mean, wow. I mean, a couple of weeks ago before uh, – before I was on the health and safety protocols list, this looked like it was going to get out of hand in the wrong sort of way. And now they're winning weird. So, so weird. What a strange season. Um, I, I, I don't know. I say you play your guys and if they win games, you, you accept that you, you're happy about that. You're happy about the fact that Cade and Killian are figuring out as a starting duo, you know, even if it's not a hundred percent of the time, you're happy about that. You're happy about the fact that your second unit can cause guys some problems. You're happy about the fact that guys like Trey Lyles, veterans who have kind of been also rans, are showing your young guys, you know, you, you continue to be a professional throughout your career. You, you wait until you got the opportunity you make the most of it and you help your team win. So, you know, I think, I think you just play your guys, you, you expect them to give 110%. And if you win games, you win games. And if, if you lose them, um, I think you lose them the way the Pistons have been losing them with with positive attitudes, no locker room drama. And with the exception of the last couple of weeks, you know, they've had pretty much a, a year and a half of being a very competitive team, even when they're down with lots of very close fourth quarter comebacks, you know, like almost winning some of those games. So, you know, maybe, Laz, they, they become what you were talking about when we started the podcast, one of the good bad teams or bad good teams whatever whatever it is not not the worst of the worst and uh you know if that happens I think I'll make peace with it
0: yeah me too I, th- it will be much more enjoyable at least from a uh, entertainment perspective to to watch them with Kelly Olenek and Frank Jackson um I don't think I. Don't, I hope they don't actually mess up the tank I doubt they will but I think what it will do is prevent some of these blowouts, right? We talked about earlier at the top of the pod, how it's either like win or blowout. And my hope is that it's like with with Kelly Olenek and with Frank Jackson back, it's like win or competitive loss or blowout. It's like we're, we're adding an option to the table as opposed <laughs> to only getting blown out by 25 points if, uh, if Cade and uh, Sadiq can't hit shots. And, and uh, so, yeah, I will I will be enthused about uh kelly Olinick's return if you had told me like at the beginning of the season how happy i would be that kelly Olinick was returning i've been very disappointed in myself but like that that is where we are at right now and so like I, I i can't complain all right ben we made red new year's resolutions a couple weeks ago i didn't get to press you on this last week because <laughs> you were out i get to press you on it this week what is your what is your one positive thing this week for the detroit pistons ben.
1: all right so this one's actually pretty easy it's homie's highlight reel he has been jumping out of the gym this week um some pretty monstrous dunks in transition uh one or two put bat dunks as well if memory serves um it, it is fun to have a guy with his hops wearing a pistons jersey uh, because when he's attacking the rim something exciting could happen and even in the midst of the blowouts like you could sell end up with a highlight that you'll remember. And so that's a lot of fun for me. And then honorable mention Killian Hay is doing some, some Hami impersonations, a couple <laughs> nice dunks today. And uh, I think he had one today and then one in the, in the previous game. Um, pretty authoritative too. So Hami's highlight reel for me, the, the thing I enjoyed the most uh, this week in terms of the tape.
0: I, I like that. The, the, uh... The the Cade pass through like two levels of the Toronto zone defense to Hami yeah. for an underneath the rim dunk like that. Was that, that the was, one
1: hand bounce pass? Is that the that one? one hand, yeah, that was the one yeah. hand bounce pass. That was, that was, was uh, <laughs>
0: just that uh, that made me feel things. I didn't mm-hmm. feel things in a long time. That was really good. All right, Ben. The schedule: the Pistons are going on a road trip. They play. Oh, wait, no. If they're going on a road trip, our uh, our old men butts have to stay <laughs> up and watch these games. Yeah, Team DVR, great. buddy. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, We're sleep training, so (laughs) I actually have time now, which is good. Uh, They play at the Warriors on Tuesday. Warriors are really good. They just destroyed the Bulls, who just destroyed the Pistons, so that that might look pretty ugly. And then they play at Sacramento on Wednesday on the back-to-back. They play at Utah, who will be looking for copious amounts of vengeance on Friday then they play at Denver on Sunday. That's the elevation uh, series, the Utah-Denver uh, back-to-back. Not on back-to-back nights, but the back-to-back games. That's going to be. Uh, that's also going to be interesting. Is the are the positive vibes of the last two weeks enough to carry you through this West Coast road trip? Then,
1: <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors do. I mean, when they came to Detroit, I believe they rested a couple guys. If memory serves, Clay Thompson obviously back. That team. I mean, I'm always going to love watching that team because they are just a blast to watch, win or lose. I, I'm just going to enjoy watching that team. But yeah, this this is one of those road trips that you think 0-4 is totally possible, but it sure be nice to sneak one from Sacramento. I think.
0: No, for sure. Um, I I'm curious to see whether or not uh, what Marvin Bagley the third attempts to do in his uh, Pistons tryout on Wednesday. That will be interesting. Um the Pistons are kind of staring 0 oh four in the face if they can't get that win at Sacramento. Uh Denver is uh actually kind of ventured. Uh Jokic is still playing and obviously he will make a huge difference in that game. Um but they, they don't have everybody right now. And so it's been uh it's been it'll be interesting. Maybe that'll be the bull bowl, bowl of revenge game as well. Who, <laughs> you know, who's to say? All right, Ben. This is uh, it's good to have you back. It's good to have you back on the podcast. Uh, we missed you, even though uh, Jack Kelly did fill in ably, but uh, you, you were missed on the pod last week, and I am glad you are feeling better.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, and I am very grateful to be healthy and and not suffering the long the long term effects of COVID. Not any, not not something I'd wish on anyone. COVID mm-hmm. sucked, but man, very grateful that uh, my immune system had a head start thanks to the vaccine and uh, was able to beat it pretty quickly.
0: Amen. Let the people know where they can find you, uh, where they can find what you've been working on uh, in, uh, in your absence.
1: Yeah. Hit me up on Twitter at BR Golker. I always try to get into the comments at Detroit bad boys as well, especially for the uh, podcast posts. Love to hear your feedback, talk about stuff and and appreciate all the support we get as well.
0: All right. And uh, of course you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Now, before we go, Uh, I wanted to, well, you know, every year the the NBA celebrates uh, the life and and, uh, accomplishments of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm really glad the NBA takes that time to honor and celebrate his life. Uh, Dr. King was, of course, one of the most clear-minded thinkers that this country has ever produced. And at the end of this podcast, I wanted to leave you with a short passage from a speech he actually delivered in Detroit in 1961. And so, quote, Each of us lives life on two levels, so to speak, and we operate within two realms, the within and the without. The without of life is what we use. It deals with the techniques and devices, instrumentalities and mechanisms by means of which we live. In short, the material stuff that is necessary for our existence. This is the without of life, the car we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, and all of the material objects that are necessary for our earthly survival. Then there is the within of life, and this is that realm of spiritual ends which expresses itself in art, literature, morality, and religion for which, at best, we live. Now, the foolishness of this man consisted of the fact that he allowed the within of his life to become absorbed in the without in other words he allowed the means by which he lived his life to become to absorb the ends for which he lived he allowed his civilization to outdistance his culture and so he was a victim of that something that thoreau referred to when he said an improved means to an unimproved end he failed to keep a line of distinction between him and his he failed to keep a line of demarcation between his life and his livelihood. And there is always the danger that we will find ourselves caught up in this foolishness. We must always be careful in America because we live in a capitalistic economy, which stretches with stretches the profit motive and free enterprise. And there's always the danger that we will be more concerned about making a living than making a life. There's always the danger that we will judge the success of our professions by the size the size of our wheelbase on our automobiles and the index of our salaries rather than the quality of our service to humanity. There must always be a line of distinction between the within and the without of life. Now that is that is from the man who was a fool. Dr. King's sermon delivered at the Detroit Council of Churches. You can find the rest of that sermon and many other speeches of Dr. King's online at the Stanford uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute, um, I try and go there every single Martin Luther King day and, and pick out you know at least one sermon or one speech that he gave and, and read it in full and uh, you know, ponder upon like what uh, what the, the influence and power that he had uh, all over this country. Thank you all for listening. I truly appreciate it and we will talk to you all next week.